0: It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo,
1: and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2.
0: U2, they represent a the personification of our resistance.
1: The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future!
0: Viva Sarajevo!
1: Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.
0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of Shooting It Straight with myself, Justin Jackson, and my man, John. Um, before we get started, I just want to give a quick shout out to Johnny T-Shirt. need any kind of UNC apparel, that's the spot to go to. Um, and then also Congruity HR, where Tar Heel fans can get a free payroll and HR needs assessment at any time. So definitely go... Go give Congruity a a check out. Appreciate both of them for being the sponsors for today's video. Mm Another interesting uh, week of basketball, I'll say. Obviously, UNC gets the big dub against the rival, um, the team down the road. Huge win. I think there were some things in that game that were uh, evident as far as why they won. Um, And then they go into a game against Clemson, who they played previously in the year, one by 10 uh, at Clemson. And um, not the same turnout. Not necessarily what I think the team wanted to see. Not what fans wanted to see. Not what we wanted to see. UNC loses to Clemson eighty to seventy six at home. Um, interesting game. Uh, I think there's a bunch of different. Obviously, we'll talk about it as the show goes on. But I think there's a bunch of different things that uh, created this kind of game for UNC. Um, I think it is it is tough to come off of a game that's as emotional and draining and uh, takes as much energy out as a game against Duke does to come into a game where Clemson, you know, at the end of the day, Clemson needs these ACC wins more at this particular time than UNC does. Um, and they came out and played that way. Obviously, UNC – fought in the second half to, to bring the game back, you know, close and to give themselves a chance, but shout out to Clemson and them making plays whenever they need to make plays. Um, You know, I think, I think one of the biggest things that we've seen um, all season and something that, you know, I feel like it's a broken record um, is just shooting the ball. Uh, It's tough. And college basketball to have a big who, and we'll talk about him, you know, in in a little bit, but to have a big that can dominate on the block like Armando, um, but not have guys around him that could space the floor and knock down shots. And I think when you look at this game, um, obviously, you know, Harrison had an unbelievable game against Duke, uh, really showed up, really did some big things. You know, he went three for five from three, four for seven overall. But then you look outside of that, even RJ didn't have a great shooting night. Um, Seven for 22, five for 12 from three isn't bad, but seven for 22 is – that's a tough night for a guy who's been as consistent as RJ. And the one guy that I feel like we have talked about a ton as far as what his role has to be for this team to be as successful as they can be is Cormac Ryan. And, you know, there's a lot of times whenever, you know, I I sympathize with a shooter who goes through shooting slumps just from me being kind of that myself and having experienced those times where it just feels like you can't find the basket. Um, But at the same time, for you to be as big of a a piece for this team, you cannot have as many games where – you just have not hit shots as Cormac has had. And, um, you know, one for 10 from the field, 0 for 6 from three, two points total and playing 30 minutes and being one of the key guys in a game like this where maybe RJ is is struggling um, at times or, you know, there's not really any other production outside of Mondo. You have to be able to step up and knock down shots. You just You just have to. There's no way around it. If this is a championship caliber team, which I think we both feel like it it very much is, you have to be able to step up and knock down some shots. And, you know, we've talked about certain things to get shooters out of slumps, certain things that help or that have helped me, you know, in the past, whenever I've had those games where I just can't find the basket at all. Um, but eventually it's going to get to a point where you just kind of have to find it within yourself. And you've got to find that confidence again. you got to find that rhythm, whatever that looks like. You know, whether, you know, it it sounds corny, but at times some people, they even go back and they watch highlights of themselves. They watch whether it was in high school or it was in college or things like that, just to kind of get that feeling back of kind of, okay, this is who I am. And this is who I've shown I can be. This is, you know, when I've been the best that I could possibly be, this is what happens. Um, So I don't know what it is, but Cormac um, has to shoot the ball better. And you know, it's not even a situation where it's you know, oh, I think, as long as he you know gives them just a little bit, you know, I think this team can be can be good at this point, Cormac has to be a consistent knockdown shooter from the outside, or else this team is going to struggle. Um, so I think that's the first number one thing um, that might take away from the game. Uh, I think the the next thing, and we kind of talked about it, Uh, Mondo's aggressiveness and assertiveness that he's shown in the last few games I think is exactly what we have talked about especially I think it was even on the last show and even with Bryce when we were talking about you know I feel like Mondo has to be more involved from just the standpoint of getting the ball whether he's going to score whether he's drawing a double team to kick out whether he's The one in this, you know, the screen and roll actions, whatever it might be, he has to be involved because of the gravity and the attention that he gets when he gets the ball. And obviously, he's shown in the last two games against Duke and now against Clemson that when he gets the ball, he's going to cause some issues for the other team. I think against Duke, I think you saw him go against Filipowski, who's more of a versatile big, but he's still, you know, close to seven feet and you know a big, a bigger body and you kind of saw him dominate down low. Then you see him go against a guy like PJ Hall and the other bigs that they have in this game and finish with 24 and 13. And I think when you see him be aggressive from that standpoint, if you have Cormac hit three or four more of his shots, you have RJ, maybe you take his shots down a little bit, but you know, he hits four or five more of his shots. This game's a totally different, totally different game. Then obviously it's easy to go back and say, well, if this happened, if that happened, but we've seen consistently RJ has been more, you know, efficient than seven for 22. And, you know, if, if he shoots a little bit better and Mondo is able to play this way, I think that game is a totally different game. And I think that's where UNC kind of takes that next step. Um, So I like what I'm seeing for Mondo. I think, him being aggressive and them getting him involved you know he shot 11 free throws which means in the paint anytime he got the ball either he was scoring getting fouled or something good was happening for unc so i love to see him be aggressive i love to see him do that each and every game whether that is him scoring 24 points or him scoring six points whatever it might look like him getting that ball causes the other team to be in rotation if they double um, causes the attention to kind of come off of RJ or the shooters outside. So then it's an easy kickouts, easy shots, guys able to line things up with a little bit more time. Um, and so hopefully he can continue that. And then obviously I think RJ is going to do what RJ does. You know, obviously I think if, if he, if we were to ask him, you know, how would you say that, you know, your offensive game was this game. I think he would probably say himself that I didn't shoot the ball as efficient as I usually do. And there were some shots that I normally hit. I mean, he's a 90% free throw shooter and he missed two in this game against Clemson as well. So I think at times there's just games like that for the star players or the guys that, you know, carry that heavy load, it just happens at times. Um, But other guys have to step up as well. So those were kind of my two big takeaways. Um, was just kind of Armando's dominance, but also the shooting that has to come from Cormac and the consistency that has to come from the other guys around those guys. Um, what did you what What do you think? What do you think were some takeaways that you saw as you kind of watched the game that you know maybe were stood out to you or or made sense as to why the game went in the direction that it went?
1: Yeah, I think to start, I'd I'd love to add on Armando. He was 10-11 on free throws, as you said. That's a career high for him in made free throws. Actually ties a number that he set against Tennessee earlier in the season. Armando has played a lot of basketball for UNC. Anytime he's setting a career high, especially in free throw uh, attempts, that's a, that's a big deal or in free throw makes more specifically. And then, yeah, with Cormac, I think it's important to kind of break down the data a little bit on his shooting. I'm looking at his shot chart from CBB Analytics. Uh, He's not just struggling from the three-point line, and I think that's important to call out. Over his last 10 games, he's 6 of 15 at the rim, uh, 40% from there. That's a a low number. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why his effective field goal percentage over the last five games is 36.5%, and to put that in context, that's the second percentile nationally, which is not good. So it's clear that Cormac is not just going through a shooting slump, uh, but he's struggling finishing at the rim as well. It's kind of all compounding a little bit into his game. And I think another thing that stood out to me was just UNC's lack of energy and kind of lack of effort last night. It's something the players talked about as well. Um, After the game, uh, RJ Davis said, this is probably our first game where I think the energy wasn't there. Um, And we actually had a listener question about this, Justin. I'm curious to get your your thoughts. This is from Heal Thy Soul. Uh, he asks, would love to hear Justin's thoughts on the hangover game theories. Jay Williams and others have said it's not a real thing, but the numbers seem to bear it out. and Anec- Anecdotal evidence as well. It seemed like maybe last night was a hangover game for North Carolina after the big Duke win. What do you think, Justin?
0: Um. I think I'm going to have to disagree with Jay Williams and some of the other people that say that, you know, hangover games aren't a thing. From the standpoint of if North Carolina hadn't already played Clemson, I would say that that's that it's not a thing, you know, because it's a brand new opponent, a brand new challenge. Um, but. Anytime you go into a rivalry game, you know, for North Carolina, it's NC State or Duke. Um, anytime you go into a rivalry game, especially the Duke North Carolina game, there's a lot more emotions that go into it that you don't even realize. Um, you know, there's college game day that shows up on game day, so you know you see all the trucks, you see all the college game day, you know, gear and things like that all around. Um, then you go into basically the the setup for the game. So whether that's you know if it's on a you know a regular school day, then obviously you have to go to classes, you go to, you know, whatever it might be. And as the day goes on, the adrenaline, the emotions just kind of build. So then you get into the game and obviously the fans are rocking. The Dean dome was rocking and they're playing well. They're, you know, they're, they're playing defense. They're locking, you know, for the most part, they're locking a, you know, a lottery pick, you know, most people would say in Philipowski they're, they're really giving him trouble um, doing things that they're supposed to be doing to win that game. And they played a high level and pull out, you know, a rivalry win, you know. So then Franklin Street is is lit. I think there was some there were some videos of guys like Cormac and things like that out on Franklin Street after the game. And, you know, obviously you want to celebrate and enjoy that moment because it's, it's tough to win, you know, an ACC game let alone a, a rivalry game against Duke. So you want to enjoy that a little bit. But then you go into a game against Clemson, who you've already beat by 10 at their place. Um, you kind of know the personnel that they have. You kind of remember how that game went, uh, the things that worked, the things that didn't, things like that. And so you go in with a little more, uh, you're a little more comfortable than you normally would against a brand-new opponent. And so I think that's where I would disagree with, you know, that hangover games are just a, you know, it's just an excuse, I guess some people would say. Because I think, you know, before, before this game happened, I was kind of worried that it would be that kind of game just because of everything that goes into the Duke game. And now basically, you know, after the celebration and stuff like that, basically two days later, you have to show back up. And you got to beat a team who's pretty desperate, a team that you already beat. So they're coming in with more fire than, than the first game. Um, and then at the end of the day, Clemson has some really good players. You know, P.J. Hall was, you know, all-ACC guy, preseason. You got Gerard, who's been in college for a while, been in the ACC for a while, with some huge shots against him. Um, and then you have everybody else. You know, you've got another guy, and I think his – what you say his last name? Sheflin. Sheflin. Uh, you got a guy like him who honestly, I haven't seen many guys go against Harrison that kind of I don't necessarily want to say get got you know get the best of him, but he gives Harrison some issues. Um and so you've got guys like that that are coming in desperate with even more energy, uh, with a fire to them that's a little bit probably a little bit different than a North Carolina team that just came off of a a big time win. So Not saying that it's a it's an excuse by any means, because at the end of the day, when you win that when you win that Duke game, your next job is the next game. And coach always used to say when we were there, the most important game is. The next game and. um, You know, they obviously didn't do what they were supposed to do to prepare for Clemson, um, because from the jump, like you had mentioned from the jump. They just – Clemson looked like they were moving at a different speed. They were moving at a different physicality than North Carolina. They were um, – defensively, they were moving quicker. They were uh, getting to their rotations quicker just kind of from the jump ball. And it's hard whenever you get into a hole that early and you're just playing from behind all game long. And that's kind of what North Carolina was doing. Um, so I would say that hangover games are real. Um and I would say that it's it's the player's job to prepare and get ready for those games that could possibly be the hangover games. And you probably have to prepare a little bit extra and get your mind right a little bit more than you normally would because you're already coming off of the feeling and the high that you got from beating a Duke team. Because um, that's another thing, too, is every, everybody wants to say that it's just another game. It's just another win or another loss there is a different feeling to a win against Duke than there is against Boston college or Clemson, uh, wake Force. Like there's just a different feel to it. Um, that it's almost, it's almost a high of man, like that was a huge game that we just pulled off. Now we're, you know, we have the bragging rights right now because we just beat our rival down the road. And, you know, then you come into this game. So I think North Carolina has to do a better job of, of, obviously as, as the season goes on, when you have big wins, especially once tournament time comes, you have to be able to bounce back and move on to the next game pretty quickly. And, you know, I think this was a good game for them, even though it was a loss. I think it's a good, you know, being able to see that aspect of, Hey, yeah, we got a big win against Duke against some, you know, Duke had some really good players that we were able to do some good things against and obviously the coaching and things like that. And now we have to lock it back in and, get right back into this game against Clemson or whoever it is going forward. So it's a, it's another learning experience. Um, You know, once again, there's a lot of guys on this team that have never really experienced true winning when you really look at it. Um, I mean, the only guys that you can really look at is Mondo and RJ, you know, those are the only guys who have really been in a winning situation, you know, on a consistent basis. And so, It takes a different mindset whenever you are in winning mode as opposed to, okay, well, we're just going out here just to try to do our best. Or, you know, we're we're not really playing for anything, but, you know, we're just going to try to give our all. There's a different mindset whenever you expect to win and you are expected to win. You know, there's just a different, you know, different brain, uh, different part of the brain that you have to kind of get you know, woken up a little bit whenever you're not used to it. So at the end of the day, it's a learning experience. And I think, you know, this game was was good to happen right now. I mean, you look at kind of the rest of their ACC play, it's not necessarily easy. Um, so having this kind of, you know, bump in the road, I think was good for them.
1: And I think another reason why you could say it was a hangover game is just because of how it started. I mean, Clemson went on a 13-0 run. start the game they took a 15 to lead equaled the largest run of the season by an opponent florida state also did it back in december but i think that's another point it seems like unc kind of got punched in the mouth uh, before they realized what was really happening in the game and then they did settle in but it's too late i think another thing with this game was there was no seth tremble and that's a big deal for unc you know, obviously we don't know his situations. So we don't want to speculate and hope he's okay too. But Justin, did you notice the impact of not having Seth out there and looking ahead a little bit, how could that impact the team against Miami and moving forward if he's not out there?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, you definitely miss somebody who's as consistent and as constant as Seth is. You know, he's not, we've talked about it. He's not necessarily going to be somebody that goes out and gets 30 or really fills up the box score, but he's somebody that gives you you know, when he comes into the game, he gives you that the effort defensively. You know he's going to guard. Offensively, most of the time, he's in the right spot. He's shooting the ball really well this this year. Um, so when he catches the ball, you have pretty good confidence that, you know, if he's open, he can knock down the shot. Um, and then getting out of transition, he's an unbelievable athlete. So it gives you a whole nother aspect um, that maybe they didn't have, you know, out there on the floor. So you miss – you miss his – you know, his presence, no matter what. Um, I think, obviously, I hope that he's, you know, he's healing up. He's good, you know, as as the season goes on. Um, and I hope that he's able to, you know, kind of bounce back and come right back into it and you know get right back into the flow. Um, but I think, once again, this is kind of where everybody else has to step up. You know, it's where Cormac has to hit some more Shots as opposed to going for oh for 6 from 3. It's where, you know, RJ has to shoot a little bit more consistently in a game like this. You know, as much as we've been praising him, it just kind of comes with the responsibility of being the ACC player of the year. Like when you have a rough shooting night, most of the time it's going to be a rough night for your team unless other guys step up. So, um, you know, it's just it's it's kind of a it's a trickle down effect. Whenever you have a guy that's just constant as Seth for this team have to be out. You know, everybody else has to step up, and if they don't, you kind of start to see other issues start to you know be glaring. You know, I think one one shout out I want I want to give is Pax. I want to give a shout out to him um, for I mean, all season he really hasn't played much at all, um, and so for him to come out play twenty two minutes two for four from the field and seven points, six rebounds. Um, you know, that's that's the definition of staying ready. You know, when you hear – me personally, I hate the whole saying of stay ready, but when you hear coaches say, hey, stay ready for your moment, your moment's coming, yada, yada, that's the definition of it. Like, hey, I haven't played much at all the last ten games, but Seth is out. Things aren't really rolling for us, so I get 20 minutes in a game and I go out there and I – I produce and I help the team in certain ways. So shout out to him for sure for doing that. Um, You know, it's still it's unfortunate that it's been so inconsistent, whether it's the play of, you know, withers and Washington and guys like that. Um, But shout out to him for stepping up whenever his name was called. That's 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 huge. And for a, a championship aspiring team, you have to have certain guys like that, for instance. Everybody knows Luke by his unbelievable shot that sent us to the Final Four. But up until that point, Luke really didn't play much. He didn't play. It wasn't like he was playing unbelievable that he probably should have been playing. But no matter what, Luke was always in the gym extra. Luke was always getting extra work in. So when his time came for that Sweet 16 and Elite 8 games, he was probably the best player on the floor at times. You know, I mean, he had a double double both games, had the game winning shot to send us to the final four. Um, so, you need people to always be ready and to be able to step into those roles and to be able to step up whenever maybe a game, you know, somebody goes out hurt or a game isn't flowing the way that it normally does. And you need a different look. You need guys like that. So, maybe Pax is that guy. Maybe somebody else off the bench is that guy down the road. But, you know, shout out to him during you know, the game against Clemson for stepping into that, that that was, that was definitely big. I wanted to give him a shout out. Um, but then too, I think, you know, with, with Seth, with Seth not being in the game, that means normally a guy like Elliot would play more. And when I look at the box score, Elliot played 20 minutes. Now he had three fouls. So being in foul trouble is always tough. Um, But, you know, it's tough whenever there's inconsistency in the play of main guys. That's what's tough. Now, Elliott's a freshman. He's still figuring out, even though we're pretty far into the season, he's still trying to figure things out. Um, But when I look at – you know, when I look back on our 2017 team, for the most part, everybody was pretty consistent who – we're kind of the leaders of the team. Um, everybody was pretty, hold on. Everybody was pretty consistent. Um, everybody was pretty, uh, reliable, you know, from a day to day basis. Everybody was, you know, you knew what you were going to get from Joel. You knew what you were gonna get from Kennedy and Isaiah. You knew what you're gonna get from Kenny and then Theo, um, from Nate. You knew what you were getting from all of those guys. Right. There were some games where guys didn't have it going. Some guys couldn't, you know, get into a rhythm or some guys, you know, they weren't able to step up at certain times. It happens in basketball. But for the most part, you knew game in and game out what you could expect from certain guys. There's times with this roster that you don't necessarily know what you're going to get from Elliott. You don't necessarily know what you're going to get from Cormac. Sometimes you don't necessarily know what you're going to get from Harrison at times and from the bench, it's been up and down all season long. So I think that's something that I want to watch as, as these ACC games kind of continue is, can there be some sort of consistency across the board that allows this team to get into a full rhythm, you know, to where everybody knows, Hey, this is what I do. This is what the team needs me to do. And game in and game out, I'm expected to do that um, because, like I said previously, if if you're going to be a championship team, there has to be some sort of consistency. So, I think that's 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 one of the things I'm going to be watching as the season goes on. Is can there be from top to bottom? Can there be more consistency from Mondo RJ all the way down to a guy like Zayden High if he gets his opportunity? Can there be consistency? Each and every time they step on the floor, because that's going to be important as the season, you know, kind of comes into tournament time and gets into the, the real winning time. Subscribe to Point Forward the podcast so you don't miss a thing.
1: And I think it's interesting with Elliot as well because it seemed like he was getting consistently better, and I think over the last few games he's been bothered a little bit with how defenses have been guarding him. Against Duke, it was particularly egregious, but other teams have been doing it well—really sagging off of Elliot, uh, forcing him to take jump shots. I don't have of the number in in my head, but I think he shot a pretty bad percentage from the field against Duke. And a lot of that was just sort of jump shots where he was wide open. Now he's a smart basketball player. He's made some smart uh, adjustments over the course of the season. Um, I think there's a ton of opportunities for Elliot to screen for RJ. I would love to see more guard to guard screens there um, where if Elliot has the ball and the defenders sagging off of him, Bam, quick dribble handoff right into RJ, and then RJ can use that space. Um, Elliot was doing that a little bit as an off ball screener against Duke, but I think that there's more that they could do with him as a playmaker, and then that would sort of force defenses to step back up and guard him and allow him to drive a little bit better. When you look at Elliot's play, and you know, you probably saw him shooting some of those jumpers the last few games as well. What do you think is the next step there for him? Offensively, and maybe how can he continue to unlock his game and be more consistent through the last part of
0: ACC play? Well, the first thing that everybody has to understand is the hardest part about ACC play and conference play is that especially come second time around when you play a, a team, they know every action that you run. For us, it was always secondary break, which every person in the country knew our secondary break. But it was secondary break. Um, We had a box set that everybody knew They would call out If we called out the play They would call it out themselves And be ready to guard it So that's the one thing That all of us have to always remember Is that, okay This is the second time around with Clemson They already saw it one time They watch film Just like North Carolina watches film The coaches prepare them Just like North Carolina prepares the players So when they go into a game Especially the second game around They've already looked and seen Okay, hey, this is we're okay if Elliot is shooting jump shots consistently throughout the game. Like, we are okay. What we can't do is we cannot let Armando get going. We cannot let RJ get going. We can't let the shooters get open looks, right? So it's it's basketball is always kind of a give and take. You always have to give up something, especially on defense. And so, obviously, I think that the past couple of games, what you've seen is the one thing that they're everybody is willing to give up is – hey, look, we're going to stop everybody else. And if Elliot gets an open shot, then we're okay. Now, if he hits a few, if he shows that he can be consistent with it, now we might have to make another, another adjustment. But Elliot hasn't shown throughout the season that he can be consistent enough to actually win a game for North Carolina from the outside. So kind of going off of, I like the points that you make as far as learning how to play with guys not necessarily guarding you in that way like this was something that the past few years with a guy like leaky black and things like that that teams didn't really fully guard at times they just used their man as like a help side defender or just to clog the paint there has to be things that you teach guys of how to play so whether that is like when he gets the ball on a swing situation and his guy's not guarding you. Yes, you have to at times keep them honest. And at times you have to just go ahead and just let that one ride. Hopefully you make it. Hopefully, you know you can find some sort of rhythm and you maybe you get it going a little bit. But if it's not working, then you have to know, hey, okay, well, if I'm getting the ball and my guy is so far off me. I mean, against Duke, there was times where the defender was like at the free throw line. so if if I know I get the ball and my defender is at the free throw line, then, like you said, it's an easy dribble handoff to somebody like RJ, who's now, if you clip his man off of the dribble handoff, now he's coming off with a guy that's at the free throw line. So basically that defender is at RJ's mercy. Um, or if you're somebody that they don't close out to or whatever, now you become a screener. You know, so now you're screening for RJ. You're screening for Mondo to get into the get onto the block. You're doing certain things to keep. At the end of the day, you have to keep your defender honest. It's, you know, some way. And so when you do that, I think it's a matter of, okay, now we have to now we've got to figure out ways to just get him involved, to get him, you know, to get him in the flow of the offense as opposed to now he's just the guy that they swing it to and he's the one that's wide open. So in his mind, if I'm open, I gotta shoot it. Um so I don't know necessarily, you know, what it is that you know, adjustments that they might make. But the hardest thing about ACC play is that these teams have seen you so many times. They've played you so many times. They know every play that you run. They know every call that you might call out. So what can you do to make small little minor adjustments as the season goes on to give yourself some sort of advantage? Um, and like we talked about, it, he's still learning. And if you, if we come back next year, we're talking about Elliot Kadoe. I guarantee you he's a completely different player this time next year than he is right now. It's just the way it works. He's supposed to be a senior in high school. He's a freshman in college playing against – I mean, Gerard is, is what, a fifth-year senior? Uh, like he's He might got be guys as old who, as you. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. I mean, you, you've got – I mean, he's playing with a 25-year-old, let alone playing against guys that are that old. You know, so it's just – it's a learning – curve and a learning experience that I think everybody thinks that you can just snap your finger and he can be the same player he was in high school. Now, all of a sudden on this UNC team, and it's just not how it works. And so as the games go on, and I'm sure the coaching staff is doing, you know, exactly what they're supposed to be doing as far as watching film with him, showing areas that he can be more aggressive in or showing him areas where, hey, if your guy's sagging off this much, like go into an away screen, get somebody else open, become a screener. Going to a DHO, do something to keep the offense moving and to keep the advantage. Cause at the end of the day, he has an advantage when somebody is guarding him that that way. You have an advantage. You just have to find it. And um, you know, and at the same time, I think he has to continue to work on his shooting ability. You know, that's that's just a part of with where basketball is moving to and where it already is, you have to be able to shoot or at least be respectable to be able to continue climbing when it comes to whether it's in college or getting to the NBA, getting to any professional basketball play nowadays, you have to be able to shoot somewhat. Um, So, you know, we'll see if he can kind of get, you know, that rhythm or get the shooting touch a little bit as this season finishes. But if not, then just got to find different ways to be effective. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure those guys on that coaching staff are are doing everything they can to kind of help him out and help the team when it comes to that so you know learning experiences it's always losses are always better learning experiences it's gonna sound, it sounds weird but they're always better learning experience than wins a lot of times wins are able to cover up some issues that you have uh, losses they become very very glaring and I think there were some things in this game that maybe were covered up a little bit with some of the wins that they had. But because they lost, I think now it's easy to kind of see some of the holes that you know they have to be a little more consistent in.
1: We've been talking a lot about screening on the offensive end. I want to flip sides of the ball real quick because we have a great question from Mick Glove. Uh, he submitted this question on the Inside Carolina Premium Message Board. So be sure to subscribe to that and feel free to submit questions there for Justin and I to tackle on each week's shooting it straight. He asks, we seem to do better when we get through screens to avoid mismatches, how difficult is it to do that consistently? There are a lot of times against Clemson where there were some mismatches. RJ got stuck on a few of Clemson's bigs. Justin, how would you navigate that?
0: I think it's game to game. I think against a team like Clemson, they've got a lot of guys who look to post up. They've got a lot of guys to look to take advantage of those mismatches. You know, you don't necessarily want Elliot switching on PJ hall because he's probably just going to take him right to the block. He's going to take RJ right to the block. He's going to do he's going to do that on a consistent basis if he gets those mismatches. You know, there was even a few guards, I think it was Hunter took some guys to the block a few times. Um Gerard didn't necessarily go to the block, but he was able to take advantage of some of the, you know, the the pick and rolls, the high screens, um uh, coming off those shooting and things like that. So I think it's just it depends on the 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 matchup. You know, when you have a game like uh, a team like this and a matchup like this, a lot of times you do want to try to keep matchups on matchups. But the other issue is when you do that, a lot of times the screens become a lot more um, a lot more of an issue than they would if you just switched everything. Because now if you have a high, high ball screen, if you have Armando in a drop because we're trying to keep him on P.J. Hall, if P.J. Hall gets any kind of – hit on any of those guards up top that guard is either coming off free and able to score on his on his own or he's all of a sudden attracting two and against a guy that can stretch the floor like PJ that's just going to pick and pop that's just a lineup three for him every time and you kind of saw that throughout the game I mean how many bigs have we seen North Carolina play that has shot 10 threes you know their five man shot 10 threes so that's where it gets tough because The other now, if you switch and you say, "Hey, look, y'all just have to battle," and if the bigs get it down low, then we double, or you know, we bring somebody from the low side. Now, then, that's whenever they can take advantage of guys in the post if they get it quick and go to score quick. Or now you're playing a rotation all night long because now he just swings it out and there's two guys on him, so now the guy got has to run out, rotate on, and it's hard to play in rotations all game long. So. It's tough in a game like this. Um, It's also really tough when you don't have a guy like Seth on the floor from this standpoint, because even though he's smaller, he's stronger, he can battle a little bit more, he can defend a little bit better in the post. Um, But this is a game where me personally, I feel like a guy like Jalen Withers should be a big part and a key part. Um, The uh, Washington – should be in there as a as a big part just from being able to switch and still be with these bigs that are involved. Um so I think for me, when I look at that standpoint, if we're talking about matchups, I feel like the bigger players in this situation sh- maybe should have been on the floor a little bit more. Because now when you have that, if if you have Jalen Withers switching on to PJ Hall and Mondo is now guarding, you know, a guard out front, now you're 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 comfortable with what's going on. Because you're not necessarily worried about P.J. Hall getting the ball and then, you know, just going and scoring easily on Jalen Withers. You're not necessarily worried about their point guards really attacking Mondo. That's one of the things I feel like Mondo has really gotten better at is being able to contain guards when they switch. But because now you have R.J. and Elliott on the floor at the same time, now you're you have to stay in coverage to try to keep the matchups. And I think that's where you saw a lot of Gerard's threes were kind of coming off of those high picking rolls, with the indecision of, of Mondo being further back in a drop and RJ getting hit by the screen and then him getting downhill a little bit more. And now PJ's popping and, you know, it's just causing issues for the defense from that standpoint. So to answer the question, I think it's, it's matchup based, you know, and I think this team has the personnel to be able to do either, either, or, um, but I think, This game in particular, I think you kind of saw the issues of having two smaller guards and a team taking advantage of that on a consistent basis.
1: North Carolina has Miami and Syracuse up next. A little bit of a road trip for the Tar Heels um, after their two-game homestand. We're in the closing stretches of ACC play, if if you can believe it. It's crazy how quickly (laughs) the season has gone. After the game, there was some talk about UNC's bad practices and the lead up, a little bit of talk around shoot around as well and how shoot around went. Uh, it got us curious, Justin. I'm wondering if you can kind of take us through a uh, UNC basketball game day as a player and pretend it's like a Tuesday or something. So you might have class in the morning. That maybe is a good spot to start. You know, I know different players have different routines. I think Isaiah Hicks used to talk about how like he would go into the student union in the middle of the day and nap for like four hours or something. Um, so everyone has a little bit of a different routine on game day, but what does yours look like as a UNC basketball player?
0: Um, so first we would always have, we would always have classes done by one o'clock that was game day or non game day. That's how our classes were always set up because usually we'd have practice in the afternoon. Um, so usually we'd have classes. I always liked getting my classes done while i was in the class i didn't necessarily like it but i always like to get them done as early in the morning as possible just so that i was done with them and i didn't have to worry about it the rest of the day so i mean i'd have class whether it was an 8 a.m or 9 i'd have it like 9 and then another one at like 10 15 whatever however the you know whatever the blocks were on that day um finish that probably go get something to eat right after uh, we'd usually have shoot around we would always have pregame meal four hours before the game so if it was a seven thirty game we'd have pre-game meal at three thirty. so we would probably have shoot around at two o'clock so after i finished eating i'd probably just go to the gym hang out for a little bit a lot of times honestly i would get shots up before shoot around like a little extra shots just not a ton but just to get a, you know a little bit more shots up get into a rhythm then we'd have shoot around We'd have shower, get dressed. Coach always had us wear suits to pregame pregame meal. So we'd do that, get dressed, go over to. We started having it. We started having it at the Dean Dome, but we would normally go over to. Where was it? There was a building on campus that we would go and we would have pregame meal, and it was the same stuff every time: mashed potatoes, grilled chicken, pasta broccoli um, like it was always the same stuff so we'd finish eating that then we'd go back to the gym and depending on if you liked to take a nap or not then you could take a nap in the locker room you could do whatever leading up to the game and then you you'd usually start getting ready for the game probably probably an hour and a half before two hours before Um, and when I say get ready I mean you can either you could sometimes guys would go out there and shoot before you know most of the people would get there. Um, you would always activate or do something in the weight room with Jonas um, to kind of get your body going, get your ankles taped, get dressed, um, and then you kind of just start the the warm up situation where you go out there, you do you know the break the breakdowns, guards go, bigs go. You finish that, we go back to the locker room, coach would come in, talk to us about, you know, matchups, uh, things to focus on, things like that. And then we go out there, do two line layups and, you know, kind of get the kind of get the game going. So it was definitely a full day affair when you really look at it. Um, And I always the game days with classes were always a little bit different. You know, if it was a weekend game, if it was a Saturday or Sunday game, then it would be whatever. You know, you wouldn't do anything leading up into the game. Then you'd go right into that, you know, the pregame meal and, you know, all of those things that you have to do. But it's it's really kind of a full-day affair whenever you've got classes and things like that. Um, but at the same time, that's it was always fun to get ready for a game. It was always fun to prepare and, you know, even go to class. And a lot of guys would wear headphones and stuff like that throughout campus and things like that. But it just had a different feel, you know, to the day whenever you had a game coming up. So, you know, definitely miss those kind of days. I mean, nowadays you just kind of get ready for the game and go into it and see what happens. Um, but it was definitely that's you know, that's a part of the fun thing about going to a place like North Carolina is just the the atmosphere and kind of the uh the energy of the game days. I feel like it's just kind of different. Um so, you know that's kind of what ours was. I think obviously things have kind of changed uh, throughout college basketball within UNC. I think they still do, they still do, you know, pregame meal and same time and things like that, but I don't know what guys do. You know, a lot of them have, you know, their own cars, whether they're freshmen or not now. So they might run back to the house for a little bit and then come back or, you know, things like that. But ours was basic and we didn't have a ton of ways to, you know, for transportation. So You know, ours was pretty simple whenever it came to game days. It was once you were at the gym, you were pretty much there for for good until game time. Um, Yeah.
1: And if you're staying at Rams Village, I mean, that's just a five-minute walk or whatever, too. Justin, you (laughs) forgot your favorite part of the game day routine is after the game when you talk to the media. Talking to people like me is the best part. Of the game name, of course. I, I know you forgot it, but that's okay. I made sure to add it in there. UNC <laughs> plays Saturday against Miami, like we said, on the road. Justin, take us out uh, after this latest episode and latest loss for the Tar Heels.
0: Yeah, man, it's um, it's obviously always tough. We talk about it. it's always tough whenever you know you got to talk um, and kind of learn from losses. But I think this game showed some things that will help this team down the down the road. I think there are things that like we talk about are a little more glaring and a loss than there was than there are in, in wins. And for this team to be the best they can be, I think those things that were glaring are things that, you know, have to be kind of, you know, changed a little bit or more consistent in those areas. But at the same time, I'm not worried once again at all for this team. I think this team is, you know, has everything that, that they need to to win a championship. I think they have the coaching that they need to win a championship. And I think they, have shown at times throughout the season that they are a championship level team and consistency is the key. And I think that just grows as these games go on and hopefully they can get back into a, you know, winning rhythm and kind of uh, take the rest of this ACC play uh, by storm, you know, win out and go into the ACC tournament and then March madness and do what they're supposed to do. But once again, I think it's just time for us to sit back, support, uh, show some love whenever love needs to be shown try to help out whenever we can help out. Uh, but at the same time, just, you know, enjoy the show. I think a lot of times we kind of get, uh, we get too, too worried and too locked in on the negativity that goes on, whether that's a loss or somebody not playing well or somebody not playing. Um, and we just kind of lose sight of, you know, how good of basketball this team has played pretty consistently throughout the year. So hopefully they can get back on track. Um, I think they'll be fine to everybody listening, everybody watching. Once again, we always appreciate y'all. I cannot ever finish, you know, an episode without saying thank you. Uh, We enjoy talking about Carolina basketball and kind of giving any kind of knowledge that we have, whatever little or a lot that we might have. Um, But we appreciate y'all listening, appreciate y'all tuning in. And until next time, we'll talk to you